Hi, y'all. How you doing? Can we give a round of a hand to all our college students who just either graduated or are done with a semester? Like, congratulations, guys. I'm glad I'm been done, because that was not fun for me. Uh, but as Kimmy said, my name's Nicole Dikma. I am a part of the discipleship program this year. And I just want to share something that I just recently found out that's wild. As Corey says, undomesticated. Um, so I just learned that there's a thing called the Peppa Pig effect, which is a bunch of three to six-year-olds are now starting to speak with British accents because they watch so much Peppa Pig. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. So hold on to that, because that actually has to do with a lot what I'm talking about today, which is restora restoration of identity. Um, so one thing that I kind of talk about in discipleship program was how I used to play two truths and a lie with the devil. He would give me two truths about myself and then a horrible lie, and I would be like, well, the other two things are true, so why won't this one be? And so, for example, uh, in high school, I used to run uh, track and field, and so I would hear things like, oh, you're such a good runner, or you could run in college, you can get a scholarship, you can go to college for free. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And then the lie followed up with, but you'll never be more than that. That's all you have to offer. There's nothing left for you outside of that. And I slowly came to the end of high school and college and all that, like, what do you do after college? The dreaded question starts settling in. Because I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I was good at. I didn't know anything about myself outside of track and field. That's what I loved. That's where I put all of my energy, all my effort. And that's where all my admiration went to. And it just brought this huge, heavy sense of worthlessness. And I just walked in that because I was like, well, that's, that's all I got. That's all I got left. And at this point in my life, God was just something that I would try to avoid saying, and I would just go to church on Sundays so my mom would get mad at me, because no one likes that. And it just didn't mean anything, because growing up, it would always seem kind of washed over your parents always saying, well, did you pray about it first? Did you ask the Lord if that's what you're supposed to do? But they never answered my questions of why that was significant. They never answered any of the questions of why that should be important to me. They never established what a relationship with God looks like. And I just really want to thank uh, Nick for answering all of our questions because we all know we had hundreds and some of them were really rough. Uh, but we got into our like, first couple weeks of the year in discipleship, we learned about something called incurvatus in C which means you are, um, people really turn or curve inwards towards yourself. There's a, a picture, I don't know if I, I don't think I gave it to them, of a statue called Eve. And it is 
just a picture of a statue that's like, she's all just like this. And she's just, just standing there and you kind of just like, she's blocking herself from the world, um, not letting it in and not letting herself uh, be expressed outwardly. And I saw that statue and I was like, wow, that looks a lot like me. I didn't want to say anything because you know, you're like, no one can relate. No one knows my problem except for me. And I didn't realize until I really sat down and th thought about it at lunch how wrong I was. There are so many people who struggle with, I don't know. I don't have any answers and no one is answering my questions and every question I ask there's thousands more that follow and every time I ask they're like why are you doubting why do you have so much doubt you shouldn't doubt God what kind of person are you that's not what Christians do I was like yikes I didn't know that so then I just buried my questions and slowly curved inward and then slowly through the discipleship program, I realized people had similar questions that I did. And it wasn't doubt, it was growing deeper in relationship. That's what relationship was. It was me bringing my questions to God and sitting there in that question being like, God, can you show me anything? Show me what you think about me. Show me what you want for my life. And we did this wild exercise uh, calling Ask and listen, listening, what a wild thing, right? And the question was, ask God what Disney character he thinks you are. Yeah, I was like, that is the stupidest thing I ever heard. Why would I ask that? I don't care, I wanna know what I have to do in nine months at the, when the program ends. I don't care about Disney. But I asked the question anyway and I sat down and he was like, Nicole, you're a lot like Rapunzel. You see the world, you have so many questions, but you never go outside. I was like, ooh, okay, I'm sorry. So on that day, I really dedicated the rest of the discipleship program to finding those answers to my questions and really seeking out a relationship with God because that was what was important. It wasn't about, the self-fulfilling prophecy of no one likes to talk to me. It was, I had so much doubt in conversation that I never said anything. I was so worried about what other people were thinking, what other people were saying, and not about just trying to build a relationship, not thinking about maybe I'm just there to have a conversation. It doesn't have to mean anything. You just have to talk. Some people just need a listening ear, some people need a actual full-blown conversation to help derail whatever negative thoughts are coming at them. And just sitting there asking God questions, we did the asking questions and uh, listening exercise for throughout the whole year. And it really brought me to a point where I could actually sit back and I asked God a really hard question, and it was, what do you think of me? Because I was so tired of what other people telling me what I was, who I was, who I would be, 
what I should be like. So I was like, okay, all right, God, here's your chance. Tell me who you think I am. And that was a poor life choice because I began crying instantly because he told me I was worth it. I was worth his love. I was worth the kindness he had for me. I was worth his life. I was worth the peace he had for me. I was worth the kindness he had for me. I was worth all of the things I didn't think I deserved. And I know that's something a lot of people hear all the time when you come to church, but when you experience that for yourself, it is so freeing. I have so much peace now. I don't have to think about what every, of the 110 things people think about in a day, I don't have to worry about them thinking that about me. Because it's not about me, it's about what I can do to help further the kingdom of God. And sitting that, walking in that, and being able to share that experience with other people is such a blessing because they can carry that same peace that I have when I go walking about my daily life. And um, while I was writing this testimony, because it took me forever to figure out what to say, uh, the Lord laid Psalms 34, 18 through 19 on my heart. And it's, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. And that's something I really want you guys to kind of either write it down or ingrain it in your brain because that is so important that every single time you have a broken heart, the Lord is there to pick up the pieces. He is there to make you whole with every beautiful word he has to say to you. And now that I'm about to be over my time, uh, can we just bow our heads and pray really quick? God, I just, I thank you so much for your gracious heart, Lord, and just being here with us and healing the broken parts with every breath you breathe in our lives, God. And we just thank you for your peace as we go on these, whatever journey of our life we are on. And we just thank you for your hands that you're playing in it. In your name we pray. Amen. Next up, we got the one, the only, Jalicia. Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. So my name is Julicia Tucson, and I have a desire on my heart to share with you my testimony on trust. Before I start, I would like to pray real quick um, over this message or this testimony. So Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the time that I have to do something like this. And I just Pray that you remind everybody who's in this room that it is a safe place. God, and that you are there every step of the way with them. And that you love and care for them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay. So, when I was 14 years old, um, I was sexually abused. 
and it was by a person that I put almost all my trust in. I could actually just trust them with my life. And I never understood why I went through something like that. Questions that kept popping up into my head was like, God, where were you when this happened? Why, why did it happen to me? This began an inconsistent relationship with the Lord where I was chasing after him some days and others I didn't want to affiliate with him at all. The situation didn't only happen once. It happened a couple times when I was 15 with a different person. And it pushed me to want nothing to do with God anymore. Practically, I was chasing worldly things and falling into sin, such as porn, masturbation, and giving, my pieces, giving pieces of myself to men that didn't value me. This led to um, me struggling with depression. Even though I was running from God, he continued to pursue me. And out of everything else that I had chosen, I came to realize that Jesus was the one thing I truly needed. This is when I fell into God's arms and surrendered everything to him. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is something my mom would literally tell me like all the time. Through everything that I was going through, she was like, if it was me passing a test, she'd be like, trust the Lord with all your heart. If it was me doing sports, trust the Lord with all your heart. Like it was literally every single time she would come up with some, like, some way to say it. And I never truly understood what it meant to lean on your own, lean not on your own understanding until I studied it. What I learned from that was that you have to have faith in God and you can't be led by yourself. So where does discipleship come into play? So joining the discipleship program, I entered, I entered into a community and it was really hard to trust those that were around me. It was easy for me to talk to them, but being vulnerable was never a thing that I thought I would have to do. And when it came to the time where I felt my heart was tugging at my chest to be vulnerable, vulnerable with people, it was way too hard for me. And then first person I met was Paige. She displayed a safe place for me to be vulnerable. Cool, okay. She always assured me that I didn't have to tell her anything if I'm not ready. And she always pointed me towards God. Oh my gosh, the waterworks. Um, this called me to step out and be more vulnerable with my community. And what, what I've learned from doing that was not only that they just listen, but they prayed for me, they texted me, they sacrificed their time, and I realized that the more I stepped into vulnerability, the more safe I felt and the more free I felt. Now, I see that God constantly shows me that he never left me, especially through my community. And despite all of the things I have been going through, or I went through, and despite all the times I ran from him, I know that he has never left my side. He is always there with me. 
He is saving me from far worse. And he is a God who always keeps his promises. Okay. So, oh my gosh. Well, if you guys could bow your heads and close your eyes. Um, Trust is a process I'm still walking through with God, but he has brought me so far from where I was. If what I shared with you impacted you and you feel as if the Lord is asking you to partner with him on trust, just know it is a choice. God gives you a choice to step into that with him. You don't have to, but he would love for you to do that. So, Heavenly Father, I just ask that you meet every person here where they are at right now. Remind them again, God, that they are safe with you and that they can trust, they can also trust fall into your arms. Remind them that you will catch them no matter how fast or how hard they are falling. And I pray, God, I pray that you guard all of their hearts because you are our ultimate protector. I thank you again for everything you have done and you are doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. <laughs> okay, and thank you. Gracias. Um, and if anybody wants to come and talk to me about what I just said or what I was talking about, I am more than willing and honored to talk to you. And up next, we have the honor to hear another testimony from Jesse. Hello. It is your friend. I got you, Andy. How's your guys' day going? Uh, fantastic, actually. It's just been amazing. I played pool against you last week. It's a good time. So, like I said, my name is Jesse Martin. Um, you know, I've been going here for about two years now, I believe. And it's been good, uh, you know, as part of the discipleship program and all that. Uh, and, um, yeah, just wanted to kind of get into it. Um, wanted to start this off with this poem not written by me, although I do write a lot, uh, but it's called The Heart and the Fist um, by Rudy Francisco. And the article says, the, Mer the Mexican government confiscates approximately 30,000 illegal firearms per, per year. When the guns are taken, they are dismantled and metal is used to make other types of weapons that will later be utilized by the military. In 2012, Pedro Reyes, an artist from Mexico City, convinced his government to donate the guns to him. He turned them into musical instruments. So somewhere, there's a tambourine, a drum set, a guitar, all made by things that were used to make, or to take people's lives. But now they create sound that puts life back into people's bodies which is to say, a weapon will always be a weapon, but we choose how we will fight the war. And from this I learned that even the most destructive instruments can still create a melody worth dancing to. And sometimes don't we also 
call that a battle. I wonder how long it took to convince the first rifle that it can hold a note instead of a bullet, but still fired into a crowd and make everyone move. See, this was me. Um, I, I really uh, embodied the gun. You know, before it became that musical instrument, I was loaded, had that hair point trigger just ready to go off. Um, you know, I was that hammer looking for anything that looked like a nail. Um, and um, just kind of going through the different aspects of it. Like I said, I do write a lot. Uh, last year, I wrote over 150 poems which, uh, yeah, so I, I went through it all um, because there's just so much rush of emotions after kind of not allowing myself to go through that. So um, just wanted to read something to you guys. It's a little bit more of a brutal thing that I wrote, but it's called Why I Hated God. It's easy to tell when a season is at its end here in Michigan. Each season bleeds into the next, and the air changes how it moves in your chest. I could feel the cold sip of fall when this happened. I love, I used to love the fall, even at the expense of summer's end. Isn't life poetic? The depression of the cold heart of winter, the renewal of spring, the happiness of summer, and the destruction of fall. As if the season's names was meant for more than just the leaves, it encapsulates everything. I remember the last time I talked to him outside my cousin Amber's wedding, Brennan was a mountain of a man. I uh, stood there with a even tan, leather boots of an animal I could never guess, talked about the way he would take home, gambling on the idea of leaving a couple days early to go see the falls. I was like, the falls? We live in Michigan. There's no falls here. So I asked him, and he chuckled as if he knew I'd call him insane, he said, Niagara Falls. And he did it. The next morning he left, and by the day's end, he was there. He brought the woman that he loved and a girl that he held in his hands like it was her father's, because in every way, except for biologically, she was his daughter, because she loved her, or he loved her, and held her with arms of her father. And I remember seeing those photos, and I remember showing them to my family. So happy. Look at them. Aren't they so happy? He did it. He made it. What a way to end the summer. And I remember the night that it happened. Heard my brother splurring those brutal words that kept me up so many nights. Brennan is dead, Jesse. I don't remember much except the tears running down that night. Had to be explained many times what happened. Brennan was out for a late ride on his motorbike, and she didn't see his headlights. I remember hearing this, hoping someone would let me off the hook and tell me that's life. So I could purge these dark feelings I kept inside. I don't remember really asking God why. I was a fighter with no more fight. Wanted a flick and light this wick and imaginary dynamite in my mind, why, I would talk, why would I talk to him? He took a future husband from my cousin Amber, the best friend from my cousin Mikey, and a father from Nevea. I was done asking him questions. I never cared from knowing why Brendan was dead. Never cared what he would do out of it. Brendan was dead, and I hated and blamed him for it. 
obviously I'm not in that place now, um, but at, uh, you know, probably at the end of 2018 through all the way through the t 2019, that's where I was. Um, and I wasn't going here. Actually, the reason why I came here to this church was because um, I just had this feeling that I, where I was at, at a church I was at, still going, acting like a good Christian, right? And I was, I was there, and I realized that I wasn't honest to anybody in my life. I'm like, I should just go somewhere where I can be honest for once. So I came here. I was at Jared and Craig's group because um, I had friends in that group, and it was a good time. Um, I knew Jared since I was a kid, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, yeah, and I remember the first night, I just, this, it, it was just spewing out, you know? Like, I just, I just started with it, and the interesting thing was, was I was not only admitting it to them, but I was admitting it to myself, those feelings, those like those that darkness that held me cold and bitter and angry at everybody for a whole year, when I admitted why, I was also admitting it why to myself, and it was just this this uh, this moment of uh, relief, and I stuck around and I kept the the honesty up and I, I met some friends on the way like Kayla Parker, Alec, Andy, uh, Amadeus, Bethany. Um, Eli, Jaden, um, all these good people that go to here. Um, and um, it's also during the time that I met Nick Mayo. Um, I actually started showing houses to Nick. That's how I met him. What a weird way to meet Nick, but also really cool because he saw how he communicated with his wife in a beautiful way through the process that is very hard to communicate with your wife about. So, uh, and I see it a lot, and not a lot of people do it well, but you, sir, you did it well. Um, but, uh, be, you know, before the program, there's a lot of things that I asked Nick for advice on, because what I wanted to do was be angry. So I wanted someone to tell me, it's okay to be angry, Jesse. And uh, there's a lot of people that would tell me, hey, Jesse, it's a good time to be angry, but Nick is the only one that gave me real advice on something. And that's what I did. And it worked. And I was just like, yay, Nick. Let's, I'm going to call you every time at midnight, man. You're, you're my guy. Um, and uh, going to the discipleship program, I was kind of going probably a good year at that point, year and a half, um, at going to Rez. And uh, it was... It was, it was a good time um, going to the discipleship program. I remember not feeling like I knew anybody except for Caleb Parker. And the first retreat, the fall retreat just kills it. It's just perfect. It just like, it gets you there and then by the end of it, I'm like, Corey's like my main guy. Uh, I just love him. Uh, yeah, and tears will be flowing. And um, there's one part of that that kind of stood out to me that we did this fire. And it's like, what are the things that the devil is telling, like, about you? What are the lies? What are the titles? You know, and I'm, I'm just putting down these things of anger, like a monster, different things like that. And we did this thing where we actually put that into the fire. And I remember just bawling my eyes out. And I don't know anybody there because Caleb Parker, the one guy that I know, wasn't there that day. So, um, 
so I'm by myself, and Corey just comes, and he just pats me on the back and just gives me a big hug from the back, and I don't even know this man. It's like day one with this man. He's straight up hugging me. I'm like, I needed that. Thank you so much. Um, but, yeah, um, now today, there's no way that I am uh, perfect in any way. Uh, there's, there's a lot that I go through, and I still keep on going through, but I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, leave you with this question, um, which is, what area in your life have you not allowed God to be a father? You know, I feel like there's a lot of times where we run into it where we're like, I got myself in this mess, therefore I need to get myself out of this mess. If it's addiction, if it's anything like that, we, we go through this thing, it's like, well, I, I had to pay for my sin. It's like, no, you don't. And he already knows what you did. You don't think he knows? He knows. And he still loves you. And, um, but I just want to do that because I feel like at least for, you know, when it comes to men, it, that's why I can speak on, uh, we like to wear our burdens on our back, right? We want to wear that and we want to be the father figure. But you have to be okay being a son once in a while and just being like, hey, this burden is too much for my back. I'm giving it to you. So I just wanted to leave you with that. And...